Well, we're in week three of our series called Big Faith, and uh, it's been a journey even so far, uh, an amazing journey, at least for me in preparing for these messages. Um, I, I was looking forward to this series e even months ago and, and just thought, we need to do a series that talks about uh, faith and, and investigate what God's Word says uh, about having faith. You know, the Bible speaks of two different kinds of faith. There's the saving faith that we have in Jesus Christ to be our Savior. That's one kind of faith. God sent His Son to this earth to die on a cross and save us from our sins. He was the redemption for mankind. And, and to put our faith in God means that we have the hope of eternal life. To put our faith in God uh, through Jesus means that we have the hope of eternal life. And so that's one faith. But the Bible also speaks about a faith that we can have to trust God for things to come, that we can trust God for the circumstances and the things in our lives. And so just a, a few months ago, as I, I was just thinking about this, I was just thinking about what we can, can discuss about faith. Um, many of the things that we have gone through individually as a church and in our corporate life as a church body um, really, really got me excited uh, about doing a series on faith. And just in investigating God's word and finding out what his word says about having great faith. And so well, this morning we, we kind of continue that. But I'll tell you what got me really excited about doing this series was back in May when we had the opportunity as a church to exercise our faith in God to raise that $110,000 for the Hargrave building. You remember that back in May? And God came through and 60 families contributed over $110,000 so that we could secure that building. It was an opportunity for us as a church to exercise great faith. And we have more of those opportunities coming up in these next few months. And so this morning, I just want to pause. And before we dive into this part three, I just want to give you a bit of an update on where we are with the building there uh, at Hargray. And next week, I want to talk a little bit more specifically about what we're going to do in phase one renovation. Uh, I won't go into too much detail on that today, but I want to tell you where we are and kind of give you an update. When, uh, when we were running, you know, a hundred people, God opened up this facility uh, for us. And, and I think yesterday's clothing connection is evident evidence that God has used this building here as a platform to reach out in our community. Uh, but now, as you can see, the room is full, and we've been averaging almost 250 people uh, these last, I don't know, uh, three or four months, and uh, we need more space, don't we? And, and if you've lived on Hilton Head for any length of time, you know that space is hard to come by. And uh, so God opened up a door for us to move forward on this Hargrave building there at mile marker 910, right off of 278, uh, about a, a couple hundred yards off of 278. And so uh, here's where we are on things. We're very close, as they say, we're dangerously close, to signing a contract with Hargrave. Uh, we've had to iron out some minor details, no disagreements at all, no major disagreements. In fact, uh, there's just a, a real sense of unity with them. And uh, so that's going well. But we're within days or weeks of signing a contract that would be a five-year lease purchase with an option to extend that by two years at the end, uh, $1.1 million, um, and that building would uh, uh, give us 14,000 square feet of usable space. And actually what it is is it's not just one building, but it's actually two buildings. Um, there's, a, there's a garage that's like just a side, and some of you have seen it. It's just next to uh, the main building that we're taking a look at. And so we decided we're just going to put the youth in the garage. So anyway, um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I'm not kidding. I think what we're going to do is go in there and shape it up, and we will put the youth in the garage. So anyway, and they'll like it, won't they? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 
we're looking at 14,000 plus square feet of usable space. Um, we have 4,000 right here, and that includes both this room and our um, island kids area. Um, so it's bigger. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we have a lot more room to, to work with and that sort of thing. It's situated on three, nearly three acres of land. And um, the plans that you've seen, uh, there are plans up on the wall here, and we've got an easel out in the lobby, and you may have seen those plans. Um, those are preliminary plans, but we've gone ahead and uh, we're moving forward in getting some pre-approval uh, with the town of Hilton Head. And uh, I'll, again, I'll talk about that in detail next week. Uh, the space will give us plenty of room for island kids It'll give us uh, larger men's and women's bathrooms. Uh, it'll seat in the worship space. Uh, it'll be a, a simple but effective worship space, and it'll seat 350 plus. Uh, and it'll also give us opportunity to uh, expand that and almost double the seating capacity. Um, so there's even a lot of expansion possibilities there. Um, we have estimated our costs to be just for phase one, just to do the necessary and required things to that building, $300,000. And uh, announced that just a few weeks ago, and we had, uh, we had really been hoping to keep that lower, but it really looks like that's what the cost is going to be on all the renovations, just to get in. And that's just a simple upgrade. Boy, bathrooms cost a lot of money, don't they? Anyway, uh, so, um, so that's just for phase one, the phase that's right in front of us. And I expect that we'll probably be underway with uh, that renovation um, probably mid-January to mid-February. And we're just going to pray that we get in by Easter, right? Okay? Uh, that's our big prayer request is we get in by Easter. Um, so having said that, um, we as a congregation need to have big faith, don't we? $300,000 is a lot of money. My plan on this, and I believe it's God's plan, um, is to try to raise that before the end of this year for a lot of different reasons. Um, we'll need to start making payments to uh, uh, begin construction and begin those renovation, that renovation process. Uh, we'll probably have to start making payments uh, mid-January. And so I want to make sure that we have that secured and, uh, so, that we can, uh, so that we can move uh, forward. Um, so over these next 60-plus days... Uh, we're going to have an effort again to raise a lot of money, and we're going to need God's help. It's just as simple as that. We're just going to need his help. We're going to need to put our faith and our trust that God's going to provide for this, and then he's going to provide the necessary money to be able to do what the town of Hilton Head wants us to do and to be able to do the necessary things that we need to uh, to make that work. Um, we won't spend a lot of money on slick marketing. As a matter of fact, the the architectural drawings and floor plans that you see here uh, that are on the wall and out in the lobby, um, you can check those out online. Go to our website, hiltonheadislandcc.org, and down at the bottom of that page, there's a big button that says, Our Future, Our Story. Click that button. It's real simple and easy. It takes you there. There are some pictures of the building and the floor plan, and so you can take a look at that uh, in detail. We'll update you on progress through Facebook and Twitter and our, our, uh, our website. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of money on doing fundraisers, meals. Um, what you might see is you might see two or three major fundraising things like a golf tournament or something like that. But we're not going to do a lot of things that will distract us just from raising this money in a short period of time. God did it in May. And even though it sounds insurmountable, I believe that he can do it this time. And I did tell you in May that in the fall we'd have to come back and raise more money. So I, but I believe that God can do it again. He did it in the past, and I believe that he'll do it again. Two weeks from today as we close out this series called Big Faith, um, we individually are going to be making a commitment. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 
We've, we're in week two of a three-week fast as a church. Uh, la- a couple Sundays ago, I asked you to consider praying and fasting. Not just about our church faith issues, but your own personal things, those things that you need for God to come through. And so we started uh, uh, last Sunday in a period of 21 days of, of prayer and fasting. And uh, on November 6th, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment of what you can contribute, what you and your family can contribute before the end of the year to phase one renovations. And so be praying with me. Cynthia and I will be praying about it these last two weeks of the fast. uh, And uh, be praying with us about what God would lead you to do. How would he lead you to give? How would he lead you to save or do something to be able to do this? Now, I'll tell you this. When I met with the elders a few weeks ago, um, I said, guys, I I just feel like we need to pray for God to shower money on Hilton Head Island Community Church. Y'all, I don't, I'm almost uncomfortable saying that out loud. It sounds, um, I don't know, it sounds arrogant or something, but you know what? Um, When we put faith in God, it's okay to ask for big things, isn't it? It's okay to ask for the ridiculous. We did that last week. And so I started praying a few weeks ago, even before this fast started, that God would shower money on Hilton Head Island Community Church so that we can get this done and so we can get on with the business of reaching our community for Christ in a new location. I want to tell you what happened on day two of our fast. I got a phone call from someone who's very close to me who's never stepped foot in this building. They've never stepped foot at Low Country Community Church or Hilton and Island Community Church, but he's been tracking with us, and he's passionate about church planning, and he's passionate about seeing the gospel of Jesus spread into Hilton Head and, and beyond. And he called me up on Monday, day two of our prayer and fasting, and he said, I want to make a commitment to give you guys $25,000 before the end of the year. And do you know that on Thursday, the check was here? in the office. Isn't that amazing? Day two of our fast, absolutely. And I thanked him and I said, oh, I just, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It came out of nowhere to me. But he said, that's not all. He said, if I'm still living by the first week of January, I'm going to donate another $25,000. So we have one individual who's never even stepped foot on Hilton Head Island Community Church that's given us one-sixth of what we need to be able to do phase one of our renovations. And I believe that's a direct result of us praying and fasting. God hears our prayers, doesn't he? He hears our prayers. He listens to us. And so I'm going to ask you to continue to pray about what is going on. You know, throughout this past week, week one of our prayer and fasting time, um, I, I had someone call and say, hey, I got a friend of a friend of a friend who, might do, who will do some flooring work for you at cost and throw in the labor for free. That's a huge savings of money, huge savings of money. Uh, you know, this week, um, this past week, we had our largest regular offering ever in the history of this church, our regular offering. God is answering these prayers about showering money, but it's not all about money. It's about ministry, too. We, we served 300 people yesterday, 300 people, some of whom needed clothes, were clothed. Today, we're going to start with nine or ten life groups where people are going to go deeper in their faith walk 
They're going to pray together. They're going to live life together with other believers. God is on the move at Hilton Head Island Community Church. And I'm going to ask you all to continue to pray that he makes our way straight. He's done it in the past, and I believe he's going to do it again. Are you with me on that? So I'm going to ask you to pray, and then we'll dive into the Bible this morning. Father God, I pray that you would guide and direct us as a church. God, I pray that we um, don't get prideful about ourselves at all, not in the least. Make us humble, God. Father, we give you all the glory. There is nothing about us that can do any of this. God, whether it's a personal faith thing or a church faith thing, whatever that thing is, God, we can't do it. But we can do it because you're a big God. You're an extraordinarily incredibly faithful God. And God, as Hilton Head Island Community Church, I pray that you would shower us with money so that we can get phase one done and that we can move on with the work of the ministry in a new location. God, it's just a building, but it's a tool that you're going to use to have people come to faith in you and grow in their walk with you. And I pray that you would do that. God, I pray as we talk about Having faith during a blackout, God, I pray that you would help those who have walked in here this morning and they have done the right thing. They have prayed the right prayers. They've taken the right steps. And God, they are having a hard time seeing you come through on their behalf. I pray that you would give them encouragement from your word today. Guide us, help us. Holy Spirit, give us comfort. Lead us to be convicted where we need to be convicted. God, may you lead us into truth and wisdom today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Over these past two weeks in this series called Big Faith, we've discovered two principles. The first one is that to be a Christ follower who has big faith, we have to have a hunger for it. It's 1130 right now. Many of you are probably hungry for lunch. We need to have a hunger for God to, to move in our situation, don't we? We need to be anxious and ready for him to move in that situation. And so that was the first thing that we discovered. Last week, we took a look at the fact that we need to make room for God in our lives. We need to come to him with clean hands and a pure heart. And then every time in God's word, when he moved in the life of people or in the nation of Israel or whatever it may be, that there was a period of confession and repentance that led up to that point in time. We talked about Noah, and we said that uh, we as a people need to be like Noah, and we need to have a passionate heart to, go to do good, a courageous heart to handle opposition, and an obedient heart to follow God. Remember, we ended last week by saying uh, that saying yes to God is not obedience. Doing what God said is actually the obedient part. And so we need to make room for God. We need to be people who uh, allow room for God to move in our lives. Well, this morning, I want us to be drawn to the very first verse in Hebrews 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews 11, but we're going to be all over the place this morning. Uh, it may, uh, you may have a hard time keeping up uh, in your Bibles, but the words will be on the screens. The writer of Hebrews begins, I want you to catch this. He begins by describing and giving definition to what this kind of faith that we're talking about is. And he says this, now faith is being sure, that means certain, being sure of what we hope for. Do any of you have any hopes or dreams? Being certain, being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. It almost doesn't make sense, does it? It's counterintuitive. It's counter logic, isn't it? Having faith means that we're being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Well, there are many times I believe 
in the life of a Christ follower where there are times when you have faith, you may do all the right things that lead you to put your faith in God to provide in an area, and seemingly he's not coming through. It's dark, pitch black. On August the 14th, 2003, unbeknownst to operators, a software bug infected a computer system at the power station in Ontario, Canada. Many of you remember that day. Ontario, Canada provides all the electricity for New York City and much of the Northeast and some parts of Ohio, which many of you are from, so maybe you experience this. The result was a cascading power outage that began at 4.10 p.m., and by 4.40, that hot summer afternoon, lights were out in eight states and one province of Canada. 55 million people were affected by this. 12 people died because of this. It was awful, and it lasted till about 2 a.m. the following morning when they finally resolved the situation and got things up to speed. Cynthia and I lived in New York City uh, for a couple of years prior to moving here. New York City without electricity is not the place that you want to be, I promise you. All transportation came to a screeching halt. No one could move anywhere. Cell phone towers were without their generators, so cell phone service was almost non-existent. Air conditioning units in buildings were not able to produce air. New York City in the middle of summer and no air conditioning. That is not good. I promise you it's not good. My friend had just moved to New York City. Uh, Aaron had just moved to New York City, and he said that day he was way up high in their, uh, their uh, high-rise there in their uh, apartment, and he said the air w- went out, and the, the elevators were down. They couldn't get down, and they, they lived so high up there that it was, you know, they didn't want to walk down the stairway. And uh, so to cool himself off, he took everything else off except for his shorts, and he laid down on the tile floor there to get cool in the kitchen. And he said it was the only source of anything cool at all. But he said as night went on, it was pitch black, just absolutely pitch black. And all of a sudden, in a matter of moments, everything that was light went dark. And that's exactly what happens in the life of a believer when we put our faith in God and sometimes he doesn't seem to come through. Things go from being completely light, just like daylight, just like it is out here right now. And all of a sudden, everything is pitch black. Well, I want us to consider today the lives of several people in God's word from Hebrews 11 who had big faith in an extraordinary God and they did all the right things. And for them, their faith was almost at a point where there was an outage. Take a look at Hebrews 11 verse 32. We're going to take a look at a few verses here. The writer of Hebrews has just described in detail some of the characters of big faith, but then he says this in verse 32, Hebrews 11:32. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Look at verse 35. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put into prison. Look at verse 39. Skip down to 39. uh, These were all commended for their faith. Now, I want you to catch this last phrase. Yet none of them received what they were promised. None of them received what had been promised. And some of you may have walked in here today, and you're going, yeah, that's me. 
I put my faith in God because other people told me to, because I believed it, because I read God's word. And you know what? He's not coming through, and it's been a week. It's been two weeks. It's been months. It's been years. Todd, it's been decades, and I don't feel like he's coming through. And you may feel like some of those that were commended for their faith, yet you haven't received what's been promised. I think the writer of Hebrews was talking about a couple different scenarios there. First of all, when he talks about women having their dead who are raised to life again, I think he was talking about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we're going to take a look at them today. But I think he was also talking about Paul and Silas being put in prison and beaten and flogged and put in chains. And so we're going to take a look at those today. And hopefully we can learn a couple lessons of what we do when we have a blackout in our faith. Acts 16 describes the events where Paul and Silas are put into prison, but a lot of us don't know why they were put into prison. I want you to get this picture. It's the early first century church, and Paul and Silas have left Jerusalem. They've left the comforts of their homes, and they're on a missionary journey. Paul and Silas, catch this, they are taking the gospel, they're taking the good news of Jesus, and they're taking it to places where it didn't exist. They're They're missionaries. And they find themselves in this town, this really city at the time called Philippi. And they're telling the people in Philippi, the Philippians, about the great news of Jesus. And people are getting saved and many people are coming to know Christ and people are growing in their faith. And amazing things are happening. And one day, Paul and Silas go to pray. And a slave girl comes up on them and she begins harassing them. And evidently, as we read from Acts 16, she had done this in the past, and Paul's had enough. Now, he's not irritated with her. He wants to help her because this particular little girl was a fortune teller, and she would tell people's fortune, and they would pay her, and her parents took the money. And so Paul wanted to help this little girl. So he turns to the little girl, and he casts this demon that was in this little girl out, and he changes her life probably forever. The parents are outraged. How can this man do this? He took all of our income. He can't do this to us. And so they capture Paul and Silas. They have them arrested, and they're thrown into prison. And here's what Acts 22 through 25 says. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped down and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them into the inner cell, fastened their feet, and fastened their feet into the stocks. Now, at this point in time, if I'm Paul and Silas, I'm shaking my fist going, what has happened? Look what they do. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying. And what? Singing hymns to God. And, and the other prisoners were listening to them. This is an amazing story of two men who were probably beaten to a point where they may not have even been able to recognize themselves. And instead of shaking their fist at God, instead of being blasphemous, instead of crying out to God and complaining like many of us would have done, they pray and they worship. How in the world could they do that? I, I, I don't think I could do it. I think I would have been complaining. And whining and crying, just not out loud because I'm a guy. <laughs> but Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas are praying and they're singing praises to God. You know what our natural reaction to do when our faith is rocked? For most people, for most people, 
we isolate ourselves. We do. When our faith is rocked, when we've put our faith and our trust in God, and he seemingly isn't coming through, our natural tendency is to pull away from people. I, I see it all the time. People's faith is rocked. A job doesn't come through that they thought would come through. Finances don't come through that they thought they'd come through. A relationship isn't healed. And all of a sudden, people back out of church. They back out of their life groups. They back out of Christian community, and they isolate themselves. I think the worst thing that we can do when we have a crisis of faith is to back away from those things that God has put in place to help counsel us and to help guide us through tough circumstances. We ought to run to God. We ought to run to the church. We ought to run to Christian Christians and other believers and get help during those times. And our tendency is during the faith blackout is to run away from God. Let's not let that happen. Let's let us be a people like Paul and Silas were who pray and worship. It's our first point this morning. Having, a big fa- having big faith during a blackout means that we must allow prayer and worship. Prayer and worship to become our focus instead of our circumstances. Allow prayer and worship to become our focus instead of circumstances. It's hard to do. It's much easier said than done, isn't it? But you know what? When we do that, our attention gets off of our circumstances. Our attention gets on God. Our attention gets on maybe what he's done to provide in the past and to have hope that he's going to provide for the future. You know, this whole idea of praying during a time of a faith crisis is tough too. Because here's my tendency. I want to see if you connect with me. Like if I believe that God has something, maybe, maybe he's given me a dream, something I want to become, and I pray and in faith I ask for him to provide. Or maybe, he, maybe uh, I need something, and in faith I ask God to provide. And I'll pray about it. I'll go to him and I'll pray about it. And my faith is strong and it's bold and it's sure. But you know what? After a week of maybe him not providing, what do we do? We back off of our prayers, don't we? We back off of our prayers. We, we get tired of saying the same thing to God. We get tired of praying to him. We feel like we're bothering God by coming back to him over and over and over again and asking for his help again. This past week, um, I I had an encounter with a customer service rep, tech support, (laughs) on the phone. Oh, we love calling tech support, don't we? I had an issue with a computer, and I called tech support, and I called them, and this lady got on, and she, she helped me. She helped answer my question, and um, I didn't understand her, though. Not that I didn't understand what she was saying. I literally didn't understand the steps to go through, and so I asked her. I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Can you please go through that again? I'm having a hard time uh, doing this or understanding this, and she explained perfectly, very clearly what it was, and I said, oh, man, I'm sorry, I need to ask you again. Can you just go over it one more time? I'm not really good with computers here. I need some help. And she explained it again, this poor lady, gosh. She got done explaining it a second and third time, and I said, I'm sorry. I I just, I feel like a real idiot here, and I'm just so sorry. But can you just one more time? And you know what she said? I was shocked. She said, sir, it's my job to explain it to you as many times as you need so you get it. I was flabbergasted. Like, really? This is customer support these days? It was great. It was a great experience. She explained it the last time, and I finally got it. But, you know, I got thinking about that. We do the same thing to to God. We come to him, and we ask him for something, and then we back off. And we just go, he's not going to provide that. It's not going to happen. 
And we turn the other way. And we turn our back on God. Jesus, I want you all to get this, church. Jesus wants us to bother him with our faith issues. He wants us to come to him and bother him with that. Take a look at Luke 11, the writer of the Gospel of Luke. is Luke. Then he said, Jesus is talking here. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because I have a friend of mine on a journey. He has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. The one inside answers, we would all answer this way, wouldn't we? Don't bother me. Like, it's midnight, please. Don't come to my door at midnight. The door's already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the man's bread uh, because he's a friend, yet because of the man's boldness, I want you to get that, because of his boldness, he will get up and give him what? As much as he needs. And take a look at verse 9. So I say to you, ask, get this, ask, and it will be given to you. No question about it. Seek, and you what? Will find. Knock, and the door, what? Will be open to you. And then he ends, and he says, for everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus is saying here, come to me as much as you want. Come to me over and over and over again. And if you want to come to me every day, every day of your life asking for this faith thing, I'm here and I'm ready to listen. It's my job. We don't need to be embarrassed because we ask in faith about something and he didn't come through. We need to come to him over and over and over again. Having big faith, it's our second point, during a blackout means that we must pray about our circumstances with bold persistence. We need to pray about our circumstances with bold persistence. It's not fun, is it? It's not fun coming back again and again and again. But Jesus says, I'm there and I'm ready to listen and I'm ready to be faithful. And finally this morning, I want us to take a look at John 11. This is a story that the writer of Hebrews referenced. It's the story about Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. I just want to jump in here. John 11, verse 1. The words will be on the screen. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother was Lazarus, now lay sick. He was this, she was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, speaking of Lazarus here, is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said that sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and, his, and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I want you to catch that. Jesus, when he heard that one of his best friends was sick, he stayed there for two more days. We'll come back to that. Skip down to verse 11. After he had said this, he was talking to his disciples. He went on to tell his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there and I'm going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will not get better. Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told him plainly, Lazarus is dead. Okay, let's just break the news here. He's not asleep, he's dead, okay? Verse 17, skip down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, four days have passed, 
and Jesus hasn't come through for Mary or for Martha. Lazarus is in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, which would have been a very close distance in that day. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in, their lo in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. That was pretty typical of Mary and Martha. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You catch the response there of Martha? What does she do to Jesus? She blames him, doesn't she? She blames him. If you had been there, my brother would not have died. We do the same thing to God, don't we? God, if you had come through for me three years ago, my life would be so much better. God, if you had repaired that relationship or stopped another relationship years ago, things would have worked out for me so much better. Why didn't you come through, God? And we often do what Martha does. We blame him for our circumstances. I want you to look quickly, though, because very quickly here, Martha's attitude very quickly changes. Look at verse uh, 22. She kind of catches herself, and she says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. In other words, Jesus, come on, let's get, this, let's get my brother alive again. Let's get my brother alive. Skip down to uh, verse 23. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, and here's what I want you to catch, verse 25. I, Martha, and the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus is speaking about eternal life there. And then he asks her a question. Do you believe? I think Jesus, in this, in this conversation with Martha, someone he knew well, was testing her. He said, do you really believe do you believe that I can raise Lazarus from the dead, or don't you? Do you believe? And I think that's the question that we often need to ask ourselves when we go through a blackout in our faith. Do I believe? Do I really believe that Jesus is going to come through? Well, if we go on and read the rest of that chapter, Jesus is moved deeply because he, he, he knows that Lazarus has, in fact, died. Verse 38 says this, Jesus, once more, uh, uh, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid in, across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said, and Martha perks up here. But Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor because he's been in there for four days. I'll bet there was a bad odor. Uh, Jesus says this, did I not tell you that if you believed that you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and he says this, Father I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus knows that God's going to provide in this situation. He's got that level of confidence in God the Father. Thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And guess what happened? Lazarus, who was dead, is now alive. And he came out. Days went by. Mary and Martha were beside themselves. Their brother had died. Their Savior, Jesus, the one that they had chosen to follow, didn't seem like he was coming, coming through for them. And in a moment, at a pinch point, in a moment where uh, uh, Jesus asked to make sure that Martha clarifies herself, she says this. She says, yes, I do believe. 
And that's the point today is that we, at some point in time in our faith, when things are black, when things absolutely go from complete light to complete dark, and we've been doing the right thing, putting our faith in God, at some point in time, we have to say to ourselves, I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. I'm going to stand strong and firm and I'm going to keep coming back to him. And I'm going to keep putting my faith in him because he has provided in the past. But I am with him. It's our last point. Having big faith during a blackout means that we must resolve in our hearts and our minds that we are committed to Jesus and his plan for us regardless of the outcome. We put a timeline on it, don't we? God, you have to come through by this date. God, you have to provide in this way. God, you have to. You have to. You must. You must. And God's going to do with us what he wants to do. We need to be people who say, I'm with Jesus. I'm going to hold on with all I've got and put my faith in him. I've got a good friend here, and I'm going to ask him to come on up, Dave Spangler. Dave and Ryan and their family have been with us since day one. Dave was in charge of loading and unloading when we were in, met in a school. He handled that trailer out there. And Dave and Ryan have gone through some days where they've had some faith blackouts, but they've been faithful, and I want you to hear his story this morning. First of all, that trailer looked a lot better when I was in charge of it. So, <laughs> Yes, it uh, did. It did, absolutely. <laughs> um, thanks for the time to get up here, and uh, this is tough. I told Todd if I can get through this in five or six minutes, then he's got to do the Old Testament in one Sunday. Um, You're on. So... <laughs> Anyway, uh, getting up to talk about your faith is sort of like, you know, stepping on the edge of a cliff and daring God to push you off of it. Um, so uh, try and give you the story here as quickly as we can. Um, the farm, as we call it, was a business opportunity that came to Ryan and I about three years ago. And uh, kind of long series of events doesn't, doesn't matter. It's not important now. But uh, anyway, we, we prayed about it. We said, this is a really unusual opportunity. We called some friends that we thought might want to look at it with us and, and prayed and prayed. And we just felt like, okay, God is directing us to do this. We're going to move to Hilton Head or move from Hilton Head and go take over a turkey farm uh, where we raise about 75,000 turkeys a year and uh, also a manure brokerage. Uh, and manure brokerage is a company. Um, there's not many of them. Uh, that we clean poultry houses all over North and South Carolina, and we clean about 300 houses, which equates to about 180 million pounds of turkey poop, for lack of a more appropriate word in church. And we sell that to farmers for fertilizer. Uh, so you can imagine with that offer why you would jump and leave Hilton Head to go do this. Uh, and a uh, funny story, first time I called a bank and talked to the guy, and he asked me, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a manure broker, and he said, oh, you're Jewish. And I thought for him, I said, no, not menorah, menor. Oh, and I'm a true yeah. story. And so it's a great, great start oh, to yeah. that business. But anyway, so we packed up the family. We moved to a town called Hartsville, a couple hours north of here. And uh, we were so excited. Uh, you know, new opportunity and a new adventure and an opportunity, we believe, to make a lot of money. We were excited about uh, a big tithe check that we could write at the end of the year. Um, we had talked about some charities we wanted to do. The, the town that the actual farm is in is a very depressed area. His average income is about $16,000 a year. We just said, you know, there's so much we can do with this, and this is going to be great. Now, there's my daughter at the turkey house right there. Um, so anyway, we got up there, charged up, ready to go, and within about 30 days, we realized that about half a million dollars worth of the company's business had gone before we got there. Um, again, long story there. 
on top of that, the land, not the landlord, but the prior owner of the land that we were on was going to try and shut down the company because of a deed restriction that we were not aware of at the time. Um, we had about a half million dollars in loans for equipment, the majority of which was not functional, that we had to try and get back on the road from also debts that the previous owner had left when he died. Uh, so we were immediately buried in debt with no jobs, had 12 employees looking for us uh, to give them paychecks, and had no idea how we were going to do that. We were working out of an 800-square-foot cinder block house that was uh, bug-infested, had no heat, had holes in the roof you could see through. Um, and when it rained, I mean, it literally poured through the roof. And uh, I've been feeling pretty bad because, you know, God, you pulled us here. What are you doing, really? I mean, I thought we were, we were doing what you wanted us to do. So uh, at any rate, we slugged it out. We were tied to it. It was our debt and our problem now. So we, we worked hard for about 18 months, and, and I wish I had enough time to go through all the crazy things that happened, but I, I could spend a whole day up here. Um, but it was tough, and it, it was a lot of disappointments and a lot of struggles. For about 18 months, we worked without a paycheck and basically had to take everything we had and, and sink it into the farm just to keep it afloat. Uh, so in January of this year, we made the decision that we believed there was a future, but there was no way to support ourselves with it. Uh, plus, we had all these people that counted on us for their living and their income. So we decided to move back here, and um, you know, thanks to some great friends who had a lot of faith in me, uh, I was blessed to get a fantastic new career, and, uh, and that's worked out very well. Um, but God kind of sticks his hand in strange ways. I have to say I'm working in the oncology field now, and the, the medical director and uh, an oncologist that I interviewed with, I got on the phone with him and talked for a little bit, and it uh, turns out he owns a fertilizer company. So figure that one out. You know, there's a lot of those running around. So ironically, the fact that I had worked in the manure business for a couple of years probably led to me now working in oncology. <laughs> so anyway, these things happen. But uh, anyway, it's been a tough 10 months, and uh, there's still a lot of struggles. There's a lot of difficult times. And uh, I guess the reason I'm up here is that we're not through it yet. We're not at that happy point where we say, okay, look how bad it was. Look what God did. And isn't everything great now? So everything will be great for you too. Um, the fact is, the day after Todd called me and said, Dave, could you get up and say this? I got three phone calls within three hours. Um, the first one was that we are no longer allowed to raise turkeys on that farm anymore. The second and third calls were two of our regular customers that uh, had heard a rumor that we were going out of business and withdrew their contracts. And in a matter of a week or two, we went from having all of our bills paid for the year and finally stable to having to call the banks to tell them they would probably not get any of their money for the rest of the year and having to lay off three of our employees. Um, so I guess the point is I've learned a lot of things and I've grown a lot in the last couple years dealing with all this. And probably first is that I have no idea what's good for me. Um, we prayed so many times. I mean, just on our knees praying, God, please bring this check, bring this job. Let my trucks run for a day. Let my employees get through. We, one of our guys had kidney failure, and, and we lost a driver. We didn't have enough employees to cover a job. I mean, just after another. And I realized that if I had gotten what I had asked for, it would have been a total disaster that God protected us from so much, even though it seemed so clear what we needed at the time. And the second thing was that God has his own sense of time. And if you pray and you start a stopwatch when you finish that prayer, you're going to be disappointed a lot. There's a bigger picture that we can't see, and I've just had to learn that it doesn't always happen on my schedule. 
also that whatever event is going on, no matter how good it is or how bad it is, it passes. You know, you can be the highest high or the lowest low, it does pass. And faith is not about trusting that God's going to answer every specific prayer that I throw out there, and he's going to say yes to everything. Faith is trusting that no matter how good or how bad it is, he's there. And I guess lastly is, uh, you know, God's sense of irony in how you think he's going to answer your prayers or how he's going to come through for you, how he brings experiences back together. I was sitting in my office uh, a couple weeks ago, and I got a call from a doctor in Massachusetts who runs a sort of makeshift health clinic in Haiti. And, uh, and they go down there, and they've only got enough electricity to run the hospital for about two hours a day. Um, they see a lot of children that come in that are sick from eating rocks because it's the only thing they have to fill their stomach. So you kind of say, okay, well, why is this guy calling me? Well, it turns out he had read somewhere that you can turn chicken manure into biofuel to create electricity. And through a connection, he had heard there was this guy that worked at CareCore that knows a lot about chicken manure. <laughs> So, you know, I'm just picturing God sitting up there just laughing because he knew this phone call was coming three years ago when we started this. He's like, oh, this is going to be great. When he gets this call, he's going to have no idea where this came from. So I don't know what's going to happen. I I don't know if we're going to make it. Uh, I don't know if we're going to write a big tithe check and and make a great contribution to the new building. I don't know if we're going to be bankrupt. Uh, For all I know, in a year from now, I might be shoveling poop in Haiti. I, I have no clue. But what I know is that if I'm open to the idea that God has a better answer than I can come up with and a better plan than I can come up with, and the patience to wait for his time to act on that plan, and also to accept the fact that there will be highs and there's going to be lows. And to not get too proud when I'm up here and not get too discouraged when I'm down here. And to be open to the irony that he's going to bring this all around somehow. That's going to be my big faith, is just to wait on that and trust and know confidently that he's going to take care of that. So, thanks. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. What is it that you need big faith for right now? Are you ready to stand and say, I'm with God. I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. I'm with this guy. I'm going to have faith regardless of the timing, the circumstances, the situations. I want Jesus. And are you willing to hold on to him with everything you've got? Let's pray this morning. God, thank you. God, I thank you for Dave and Ryan. And God, I continue to pray for them, God. God, I pray that you would... um, come through when they most desperately need you, God. And God, I pray for all of us, God, whether it's a relationship that's been broken or torn apart or whatever the situation is. God, as something as uh, we view it as simple as, as struggling in a class that you feel like you're failing in high school, God, I pray that you would absolutely help us as a church, help us individually, Help us corporately as a church to realize that you are a God that we can hang on to. 
that you have been faithful in the past and that you'll be faithful in the future. And God, regardless of what our circumstances are, God, I pray that we as a people would say we are holding on to you, God. That we are holding on with everything that we've got. Doesn't matter how long it takes. Doesn't matter whether it comes in our situation or not. We're going to hold on to you. Help us, Jesus, to be people through the darkness of our faith, God, through those times when everything goes black, to absolutely say we're with you, we hold on to you. And I pray that you would do that. Give us the courage and the wisdom and the character to be able to do that. In Jesus' name I pray.